Hi, I'm Susanna Walters, and welcome to Ask a Feminist, a podcast from Signs, Journal of Women in Culture and Society. On this podcast, we actually ask feminists about the pressing issues of the day to provide the kind of feminist analysis and context that is often missing in mainstream coverage. On this episode, we have a fabulous conversation about the field of trans studies between V. Varun Chowdhury and Susan Stryker. V is an assistant professor of women's gender and sexuality studies at Brandeis and a member of the Signs Board of Associate Editors. Susan is a founding editor of the journal TSQ and a major figure in the development of trans studies as a field. In this interview, they discuss the social and political context for the emergence of trans studies, including its roots in feminist theory and what its institutionalization has meant for the field. They also share insights about how trans feminism can combat new forms of transphobia and beyond that, how trans feminism can provide necessary tools for enacting new forms of sociality. It's a fascinating conversation that I think you'll enjoy. This is Science very exciting series, Ask a Feminist, and we're really excited to have Susan Stryker here with us today. Um, I'm Vivaran Chaudhry. I'm a faculty at Brandeis University um, and a big fan of your work, Susan. So thank you so much for being here. Especially excited you do so much uh, sort of representational labor for the field of transgender studies. And um, I'm sure me, me and many other trans studies scholars are incredibly grateful for um, for that work. So thank you for, for doing this and for doing so many other things. <laughs> I've seen you, your face and your voice in so many different platforms. So I really appreciate your saying yes to this and being a part of this um, exciting interview today. Well, thank you so much for, for having me here. It's like, uh, you know, I love doing this kind of work. And, uh, you know, thanks for the all the kind words. You know, could you like scratch a little lower to the left, please? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Amazing. Uh, as I sort of mentioned before our conversation today, I'd love for us to focus on three themes, really. So starting with really thinking about transgender studies as it's grown over the last 20 some odd years. Um, we could extend that to even further before that if we count various texts from the 60s to today. Um, but, you know, talking about kind of the, the growth of the field um, in your eyes, and then move into kind of thinking about that in relationship to um, feminism as you see it, academic feminism, political feminism, um, the various places where those meet. And then finally, thinking about um, transgender studies and transfeminism today, um, how it's relevant, why we need it and continue to need it today. So um, I'll start by kind of asking you, how does it feel to see the ways that trans studies has grown and how do you see it um, having grown since um, I'm thinking really of 1998 when you wrote the transgender issue for GLQ, which was one of the first times we see trans studies and then even before that, we could think of my words to Victor Frankenstein in um, uh, 94. And one of the first times we see you talk, someone talking about being trans in an academic article. So how have you seen things grow and change um, over the years? Wow, those are great questions. Um, so, you know, what I would say is that, you know, I, I would easily sort of like push the quote unquote, beginnings of trans studies back even a little earlier than um, my words to Victor Frankenstein, because I, I very much thought of that piece 
as kind of an answer, like in a call and response form to work that I had been reading, um, notably Sandy Stone's really amazing um, article, The Post-Transsexual Manifesto, and Leslie Feinberg's really, you know, impassioned transgender liberation, a, a movement whose time has come, as well as Kate Bornstein's, um, you know, um, uh, work on stage, you know, that there just seemed to be this moment in the early 90s where trans whatever became differently possible, you know, that that a lot of the discourse on transness up until that point, I found to be very uh, pathologizing and very um, sort of excluding um, and that something happened in that that sort of queer moments you know of the early 90s that made a different kind of trans discourse possible where it became possible I would say to speak as trans you know and not only to um, and not just to speak as trans but to be able to speak as trans and ha having both embodied and experiential knowledges as well as sort of like academic and more formal kinds of knowledge and i, I really see the the um the opportunity to to talk differently about trans building really directly on feminisms of color you know that that um you know thinking about the the shift of the early 90s that gives us trans studies proper as being kind of a you know theory in the flesh you know that you know some things because of how you uh, how you move through the world uh, as well as you know all of your your school book learning right so um so you know i just felt really fortunate that i was it's it was like just around in the early 1990s that I had the privilege of uh, being at UC Berkeley, you know, as a, in the years between Foucault dying and Judith Butler arriving, where there was this really amazing conversation going on in the you know, interdisciplinary humanities and cultural studies at Berkeley, you know, that I feel like very much gave um, gave me the 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 background to think theoretically about some of the stuff that I was living as a trans person. That was a very exciting moment in the early 1990s when it became possible in a new way to um, to talk about transness and to to bring it into a different kind of conversation with critical scholarship and politics on gender and race and ethnicity and and, and class. So um, so yeah, I would say trans studies started in the early 90s, you know, although, I mean, as you mentioned, it's like, you know, of course, there's like work before then, but that that shift towards a different kind of language game about transness, it's like, I very much date to that, that early, early 90s moment. And I said, I just have, happened to be there to, you know, to start jamming in the jam session, you know, it wasn't anything that, that I, I created, it was, a, you know, a, a an emerging possibility that I just happened to be present for. Yeah, that, that's that's really um, interesting. And thank you for mentioning those other texts, of course, um, Sandy Stone, Leslie Feinberg, and Kate Bornstein, um, 
were writing to many of them too for public audiences as well. So a kind of follow up question for you um, with thinking about that moment in the early 90s was how did you see the relationship between kind of transness in the academy or what was becoming transness in the academy um, and being trans kind of in in the world? Um, what did that relationship look like? Because we're sometimes today, I think we see sometimes a lag in one place or the other. Maybe the academy's having conversations. Oh, we don't need to talk about that anymore. That conversation isn't isn't relevant. And then in real in you know in activist spaces and in, in community spaces, people are having different conversations. Did you experience that kind of disconnect, or did it feel like this is a different moment? Um, it was a different moment, and there was a disconnect. You know that I was involved in uh, a, a lot of you know cultural and political activism in the sort of the San Francisco queer scene, broadly defined, let's say. Uh, and I remember when I first, um, you know, as I was transitioning, as I was coming out in an academic space and, you know, starting to position myself as, uh, you know, someone who could address this trans thing that we saw happening in the streets, I had this one really clear memory of giving a talk at, at Berkeley um, when when Berkeley was in the process of setting up its um, you know, it's like queer studies you know, program, you know, for lack of a better word. I think they, it ultimately became a minor in LGBT studies. But in some of those early conversations, I was giving this talk and was chit-chatting with, um, you know, other academics who were there. And someone mentioned that there was a job coming up in the gender studies program at a nearby university, one of the other UCs. And I said, it's like, oh, I should apply for that. And this woman like cut me a look, you know, and said, dressed like that? <laughs> I don't think so. You know, because I was, you know, presenting in a in a feminine manner. And it's like, and so it's like, like, wow, it's like you you basically are just saying, like, I am not the kind of person who can like have a job in the academy. And you know, you you still see that. It's you know, like I, I would say being trans is a great BS detector. When, you know, when you walk into the room, it's like you find out things about people that you perhaps did not suspect or like people that you perhaps like didn't know but looked up to intellectually because you really like their work. Um, you know, you find out it's like, oh, like they're actually not particularly cool on the trans thing. And like they might be like talking the talk in a way that makes you think they will be an ally. And then you find out they've got some blind spot around transness that you didn't even know. Uh, so I, I will say it's been a two-edged sword, you know, it's like it's been a both-and kind of experience of watching a different conversation on transness emerge since the early 90s to go through, you know, I would say at least three, maybe four iterations of that conversation over the past 25 years or more. And at the same time, still encountering a lot of really entrenched, unconscious, invisibilized, unacknowledged, let's just call it structural transphobia. Absolutely. Um, and certainly the the BS detector is a, a very real thing for institutions as well, right? We see the kind of <laughs> lack of understanding how to kind of read a person whose name might look different than um, <laughs> than what's on an ID document or what's on a tax form and those kinds of things coming up all the time. Um, 
I'm sure, you know, any trans person working in any kind of institution can understand. And, you know, the academy is no exception to that. So, uh, yeah, I find that's really interesting. Um, and certainly not something that's shifted even as we have more and more language to describe um, trans and transness. Um, thanks in large part to the work that you've um, shepherded in with, I think, especially with TSQ. Um, so I would love to hear more about um, the sort of birth of TSQ as a journal, the growth of it. I know there's been um, sort of changes in the kind of editorship lately. Um, that's really exciting to see. And also, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's grown so much into its own life world with a kind of public venue, etc. Um, what has that been like for you? And what have you seen as what do you see as kind of the most exciting components of, of TSQ? Well, first of all, it's like, I agree, like, it was a totally exciting thing to, to, to launch. And, um, you know, I, my own thinking is like, you know, as, as you mentioned, I, I edited my first issue of a, a special issue of an academic journal on trans studies for GLQ back in 1998. Uh, and there were there was other work, kind of similar work happening that other scholars were doing. You know, Stephen Whittle in the UK had, had you know, done a special issue of a journal. And, you know, there'd been a, a, a few more, but in it was about a decade later, um, in 2007, eight, uh, I was invited by my friend and colleague Paisley Curra to be one of the co-editors of a special issue of WSQ, Women's Studies Quarterly, on trans. And, you know, we, we did that. And when we put out the, uh, the call for papers, you know, we, it was going to be a double issue. We could publish something like, you know, 12-ish articles, and we received more than 200 abstract submissions. And that was the moment when we sort of went, you know, there's a field here. It's like there is far more work than we can publish, and it is just time to have our own venue. And so we, um, you know, we started working, you know, we got that issue you know, out into the world. And I guess it would be around like 2009 or 10 that we started, you know, pitching the idea of TSQ. And I won't, you know, go through all of the, you know, the the ins and outs and ups and downs of doing that. We had approached one publisher who we thought would go with it. And then, you know, we got some some very, I, I would say, transphobic reader reports back from it. Um, and they got cold feet. And then we took it to Duke, which honestly had been my first choice anyway, because I really saw what we were doing is very compatible with Duke's journals. And um, Duke was all over it. You know, like they, it was, yeah, it's been a dream working with them. They gave us the green light in 2013. Uh, first issue came out in 2014. And, you know, I am so proud of the fact that we learned last year that that um, TSQ is the journal that got to profitability fastest of any Duke title. Uh, it had the most citations of any Duke journal. It's just like, it just really succeeded, you know, that we um, we, we launched it well. Uh, the, the other thing that Paisley and I talked about at the very beginning is that we both recognized that we were two, you know, white tenured senior scholars in our, our fields, and that we were, you know, really wanting the journal to be far more representative and inclusive and expansive than, you know, just like our perspectives. But we also found that that 
there were not a lot of younger scholars and scholars of color who had the kind of the bandwidth right at that moment to take on the the heavy lifting of getting a journal launched and edited. So, you know, we, we said to ourselves, it's like, okay, we're the people who have the capacity to do this right now. We're going to make a commitment, though, that it's like, as we develop the journal and turn over the editorship, that we're really committed to turning it over to a majority of color editorial board and a majority trans femme, trans woman board, because that's a very underrepresented, you know, constituency. And we did that, you know, just like it took us, um, I guess it was seven years. Uh, Paisley bowed out a little bit earlier than I did um, uh, due to other obligations, but we we had uh, kind of recruited and cultivated and mentored um, uh, a younger trans of color scholar, uh, Francisco Galarte, who sort of took over uh, Paisley's position. And then um, uh, as I've kind of started working on my own exit strategy, I, I, I like to say I promoted myself into irrelevance. So I'm now the, the executive editor and I don't have uh, responsibilities for individual issues anymore. And that we were able to bring in uh, Grace Lavery uh, from UC Berkeley and Jules Gill-Peterson from University of Pittsburgh. And the the person who had been the uh, graduate assistant all along, Abraham Weil, I was I was Abe's dissertation director, um, and it's like when when TSQ got greenlit, it's like Abe, it's like I will use my money for hiring you as a research assistant to like have you be the managing editor for TSQ. So to Abe has been with the journal since the beginning, and now that he's um, a uh, professor in his own right. Uh, he moved up into the editorial board. And so we've, we've now set up this process where, you know, like it, it's a trans of color and trans femme majority on the board with a, with a succession plan in place for like how the most senior person rotates off and the next most senior person steps up into the executive editor position, and, you know, blah, 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 you know? And so I will be, officially on board through 2023, which will be like the 10th anniversary uh, of the journal. And I think that will be a good place to um, to exit. I call myself only, you know, half jokingly the resident granny tranny for the journal, you know, that it's just like, I'm the person who will keep some of the institutional memory. I'm the person who does more of the liaising with the press, but I increasingly step back and, and um, make room for the, uh, you know, for the, the, the people who have become the editors to, um, you know, to, to do more of the public facing work and to do more of the, the intellectual work of curating the special themes and um, you know and you know editing actually doing the 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 editing of the journal we did decide about 2 years ago that we wanted to launch something that was more public something that would um, like the 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 model that I had in mind, there's a great website called Jadalia, you know, on, on North African and Middle Eastern studies, where it's like it's a great mix of journalism and scholarship and short pieces and hot takes. Um, and thought, yeah, we should do something like that for trans studies. Uh, and so we're it's been a little slower rollout than we had hoped for. I think COVID 
you know, through a, a monkey wrench in many people's plans, but we are starting to build that out uh, so that we've got kind of even more turf, you know, so to speak, for um, for for publishing work of interest in trans studies, you know. So so um, anyway, yeah, it's like it's it's a um, I think a very exciting um, you know it's been a very exciting project to be involved in. Yeah, and it's it's been really neat to see it evolve. I mean, the first um, issue came out when I was starting grad school, so it's, it was a kind of marker for me too. Of oh my gosh, I can actually make this my work. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, thinking sort of like queer studies and queer of color critique, and then um, seeing trans studies emerge as like a really institutionalized field and something that I could say, no, this is a journal I can publish in. There could be job calls calling for trans studies scholars. You know, this is something I could actually do and imagine for myself, which also meant I could imagine being trans in the academy. Um, so it's a, it was, yeah, it's really kind of beautiful to see, um, to hear from you how that sort of unfolded and, and, and from your end, from the sort of behind the scenes perspective. Um, and very much, it seems like a very deeply feminist leadership model too. Um, we hope so. And yes, with, we yeah. So. <laughs> we intended to be so. Um, and yes. And with that, I think, um, yeah, I would love to hear, um, how you think about sort of the relationship between trans studies and academic feminism signs sees itself as a, you know, this, uh, a, a very much sort of frontier feminist journal. And we think about feminist studies, um, as very sort of interdisciplinary intersectional and trans studies is, is really a part of that. Um, and I'm interested to hear from you sort of how you think about the relationship between feminist studies and trans studies. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, queering the woman question, um, the essay you wrote um, way back when. And, but what does that look like today? What are the sort of conversations that you see that are exciting? What are the themes that you see across these fields um, that, yeah, that are, that are interesting, that are um, sort of lively today? A two-part answer uh, to that question. Uh, the, the first is that, you know, kind of a tangent, I would just say that the um, the things that I see in trans studies right now that I'm actually most excited about is the emergence in the last couple of years of a really powerful, robust trans of color critique, uh, in some ways kind of paralleling the emergence of queer of color critique after, you know, some of the earlier sort of canonical or, you know, like the, the uh, you know, sort of Eve Sedgwick, Michael Moon versions of, of queer studies, you know, that you, you had a, you know, Jose Munoz and Rod Ferguson and people like that coming in. It's like, eh, no, actually, you need to deal with race a little differently. And I, I see the same thing happening in in trans studies. You know that I would say that in spite of the really well intentioned efforts of a mostly white centric body of scholarship that emerged in the 1990s, that over the last few years, like the, the attention particularly to Black trans studies and the idea that Blackness has a transness of its own that's not necessarily a gendered transness, that that Blackness has trans qualities in it as well. Uh, and that to, to, to make that move and just to decenter the whiteness of transness, you know, I will just say it's like been like the most intellectually and politically exciting development in the field. And I say that in preference in a, a kind of preparatory to your question about the relationship between trans studies and feminist studies, because I feel like trans studies has always 
had an explicitly feminist take on gender that it basically says, you know, like, like if it said to queer studies, it's like, yeah, it's queer, but we're critiquing the cis-centric bias of sexual orientation models, you know, just like to really think about um, uh, queer can be more than a five letter word for homo, you know, just like you really need to deal with the trans element here. Um, so there's that, what I always thought of as like an internal critique. Same with feminism, you know, that it's like, I feel like it's like, yes, like totally down for a politics of critiquing and dismantling unjust and oppressive social hierarchies predicated on notions of sex and gender. And then to say, but kind of the, the woman question only gets us so far. It's like gender is more complicated than that. There's non-binary and trans approaches to gender. Gender oppression just doesn't happen to like the subordinated term of a binary gender model. So like, how do you like really take and some take feminism seriously, you know, and say gender is more complicated than certain versions of feminism have made out. How do we like really hold feminist scholarship accountable for the lived, you know, experiential complexity of, of gender and how it is like organized in our society? So, so yeah, I, I think of tra trans studies as implicitly feminist, and I'm just, I will say, kind of appalled at the state of the conversation in feminism more broadly construed, you know, about, about transness. It's like, I think that, that the resurgence of an explicitly transphobic feminism uh, in the last few years is really dangerous. You know, I, I, I would, I, I think I'd been kind of naive, you know, of course, it's like, as a historian, and then just as a person of a certain number of years, you know, a number of laps around the sun, it's like, I remember the the explicit, really unchecked feminist transphobia that kind of gained a lot of traction in the 1980s. And I had just assumed that that was, you know, kind of reactionary and revanchist, and it would, you know, you know, it would, it would fade away over time as new, new generations of feminists emerged. And when we started to see a resurgence of that transphobic strain of feminism around 2014, which is like the, the year that we launched TSQ, that was the year that Sheila Jeffries' book, Gender Hurts, came out. And we talked about it at TSQ. We, we um, you know, we, we thought, well, how, how should we address this? And the, the sense of the editorial advisory board was you know, don't engage with it directly. You're just gonna like give fuel to the fire. It's like best to either like ignore it or reframe it. And that was where our trans feminisms special issue came from was saying like, okay, like rather than take on kind of so-called turf feminism directly, we'll just say like, well, what, what kind of like feminist work and trans work are happening at the intersections of trans feminism? Like what's going on out there? And I think the issue that came out of that question was really powerful. I think it's one of our strongest issues. Um, but I think it was naive um, in the sense that, that the, the, the transphobic feminist position has just increasingly gained ground. And I think it has made uh, it's a very strange political bedfellows with um, really virulent reactionary forms of ethno-nationalist populism 
You know, it's like the, it's like, it, it's shocking to see people who you think of as like leftist or liberal feminist academics saying words that could come out of the mouth of, you know, Viktor Orban, you know, in, in Hungary or that th this, I would just say conspiracy theory, you know, that, that gender ideology is somehow a, something that nefarious trans people have foisted on the world as part of a, you know, a, an effort to harm women and girls, you know, it's just like, it, it's, it's, it's just, I, I find it about as um, persuasive and as scary as QAnon, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, um, it's a conspiratorial way of thinking that imagines trans women in particular as a kind of phantasm, you know, um, you know, like, like the anti-Semitic trope of the Jew, you know, as the, you know, the internal invader to, you know, society who is like secretly manipulating things, you know, that, that idea of the trans person as the conspiratorial, you know, let's just say boogeyman. Um, uh, it, it's just like, it's, there's, it has no basis in reality. And yet the existence of that fantasy will have material effects. And uh, it's, I just, I just think we're in a very dangerous moment right now in, in watching the conscription and enlistment of certain forms of reactionary feminism for these very pernicious ethno-nationalist political agendas. I, I think that we're seeing it most strongly in the UK right now. It's just like, I think in the UK, they the, the public discourse on on transness is just like it's a full-on moral moral panic right now um, and that I, I do think that we need to find a way of, of using the intellectual tools that come out of trans scholarship to disrupt the transmission of that very pernicious conspiratorial way of thinking about about transness absolutely thank you for that um that answer, I think, you know, you touched on both the ways that trans studies is like very much and always will be indebted to feminist genealogies. And I think we can, like you said, sort of really specifically say black and women of color feminist genealogies, which have really been invested in critiquing womanhood as something that's supposed to be um, always look one way or mm -hmm. something like that, even if that's the the, the initial idea behind some of um, women of color feminist, black feminist conversations. Um, yeah, just to jump. And then, just, yeah, no, so go ahead. Just, go ahead. <laughs> just to jump in on that. It's like, you know, I just take great um, solace, you know, and inspiration from like the, like, you know, Combahee River collective statement that explicitly says it's like, however critical we are of patriarchy we can't ground that in like a biological notion of maleness you know mm -hmm. and that to take that position as women who have been oppressed through biologistic notions of race you know it's just like that's very powerful it's like i think a lot too about sylvia winter's work and the way that she writes about you know which is called the biocentric ordering of the world that is one of the afterlives of the transatlantic slave trade. And there is a way of thinking about the meaning of bodily difference that is so embedded in like histories of colonialism and racism, you know, that it's like you, you can't separate out that question of, of how feminism has, I think, been predicated on often on certain 
biological notions of femaleness, you know, that don't fully account for the the full range of possibilities for how gender can be oppressive because it's still rooted in that biocentric model. And that the, you know, that to the extent that trans studies has a radical political potential, I think it's in articulating and manifesting how it is that we have as living people have a capacity to to change the signification of embodiment you know that transness essentially says the body can signify otherwise than what you think we can make it mean something else and that that is a really deep I would say, you know, ontological and epistemological kind of work, as well as political work and imaginative work. And it's like, it's in that moment, I think, of saying my body can mean otherwise, that trans studies is in deep dialogue with, you know, processes of decolonization, of racial justice, of, you know, anti-global capitalism, you know, that it becomes part of an overthrowing and reimagining of how these like very you know pernicious systems of power root themselves in our flesh and we say we can actually not 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 wholly because it's like we're not you know omniscient omnipotent people you can't just overthrow an existing order of the world but you can say working from where i am located it's just like i'm going to do the work of liberating myself from that to the extent that I can and building a different kind of community rooted in a different vision, a different practice, like that ultimately can become a form of sociogenesis of making a new people, you know? And so, you know, when I feel like I'm, you know, really down in the trenches on trans studies, I just do see it as as um, a micro level practice of re- of reworlding, you know, of like of saying like things can be otherwise, and you know, let let it begin with me. Absolutely, uh, and I, again, a yeah, deeply sort of feminist and like black feminist principle too, um, and and one that's um, lived out in a in a different way than maybe what we would imagine when we hear feminism sometimes, which I think is what can be really beautiful about trans feminism as a project and um, black trans studies, black trans feminisms as projects too. Um, and thinking about in my own work, I've written about the relationship between trans studies and black feminism and and sort of the the potential for a marriage of the of those fields. So I'm excited to hear you speaking to that um, really specifically with the text you mentioned and um, yeah, and, and a project of kind of a radical self love and a reclaiming of of the body outside of these categories that get like glued onto us in ways that feel hard to shake off um, in order to find, you know, freedom in some way. Right. So thank you for that answer. Um, and I think that that's a pretty, um, yeah, natural segue, I think, to thinking about um, this current moment, right, where we're in a sort of global racial reckoning. We've been in one for the longest, but um, feeling especially real in this moment, we're all in our um, homes if we have them. And we're seeing a lot of things kind of actively fall apart in front of us because of the white supremacy that built those things. And we're seeing um, a pandemic that's killing off um, people, Um, many people of color, Black and Latinx communities being really highly affected by this. what do you see as trans studies or um, we could even say a kind of trans feminist political project? Maybe that's two different answers. Um, what's the urgency of those in this current moment, um, given the ways we're seeing things kind of 
um, collapse and maybe necessarily and important, like maybe it's a great thing that they're collapsing. <laughs> um, I'd argue that for the most part it is, but also, yeah, what, what, what kind of solace can we find in trans studies and trans feminism in your opinion? Well, big questions. Um, <laughs> and you know, I hope this doesn't sound like a cop out, but I really feel like part of what I think of as like a trans aesthetic or a trans critical method is to always say, well, it's both and, and neither nor, and either this or that, you know, it's like, it's like all three kind of logical operations happening at the same time. Uh, and so to focus on the both and question, I think on the one side, it is really important for trans studies to kind of keep carving out spaces, you know, for what I would call, you know, like legitimated forms of knowledge production within the academy. So no, 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 like there's critical conversations here. There's a, you know, historiography, there's like deep citational trails, there's like robust conversations that are connected to other really important conversations. And like, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a thing, you know, trans studies, it's a thing. Um, and so, you know, I want to keep doing that work, you know, because I, you know, I do think it's, it's something that can be useful. It's not the be all end all, you know, it's like, it's not like the only way to do work, but it's like, yeah, it's a, it, it's, it creates a useful, um, a useful tool, you know, it's like, it, it helps people get jobs, you know, like it helps people build their publication records. It's like, it helps build up a body of scholarship that can be taught to students who like need to learn about issues they're dealing with in their own life. So it's like, it, it's good. I have no ambivalence about the process of, of institutionalization for trans studies. You know, it's, um, you know, I, I just see it as a way of like accessing the, whatever resources are available in the institution of higher education and, um, you know, making it available to people who need it. So there, there's that. And on the other hand, I think what this moment calls for, this, you know, moment of pandemic, of, of resurgent white supremacist and racist fantasy and the mobilization of really um, violent forms of oppression and, and death being meted out to all kinds of minoritized others. I think that, you know, with the economic crisis and the environmental crisis, it's just like we are inside these Russian nesting dolls of crisis right now. It's just not enough to develop a specialist form of knowledge within the academy. It's like the, the more... In addition to that, I think I'll just say what I, what, partly what I feel in myself, but also what I see happening among a lot of peers, both within the academy and and outside it, is is a newfound desire and willingness and ability to just speak as trans in this way that's almost I would say almost oracular, you know, that it's kind of like saying like. I, as a trans person, am just going to like drop some truth on you from like my perspective. I am going to speak truth to power. Um, it is not just about, you know, playing the game of incremental reformist change. It's not even about, it's not even about couching trans struggles in like traditional political terms. It's about articulating and enacting like that new 
sociality, you know, it's about speaking as trans in public. It's about building a different kind of community. It's like I hear more and more people talking about their transness in a way that it's like you could almost call it like a spirituality, you know, that, you know, not necessarily in the sense of uh, a theistic or, you know, a theistic religion kind of spirituality, but a sense of people feeling that through their transness, they are in touch with something that is just ontologically given. Their, their transness is something that the deep complexity of being manifests itself through and comes into the, the world. And that to use that cliche of like, you know, who are you to play small with the world and, you know, hide your light under a bushel. It's like, I just see more and more trans people just being completely unapologetic and powerful and of like naming and making the world they want to be in with the people that they want to be in the world with. And that is something that exceeds mere academia. So that is the both and for me of transness in this moment, building up specialist knowledges and speaking powerfully from a place of your own deep truth. Absolutely. I, I love that. And I think it, it makes me think of two things. One, one thing I'm always thinking about in relationship to transness for me and in my community is that it's, it's that kind of refusal to be wedded to kind of any gender category that might describe me now in the past or ever. Um, and that sort of like kind of temporal rejection of like, you know, now I have to be now that I use these pronouns, now that I've had top surgery, now that I'm on hormones, I have to, you know, live a life a particular way or do a particular thing. Actually, I'm not I don't have to I don't have to do anything <laughs> I don't want to do. And that, that, that sort of place of freedom. And that makes me think, you know, within the academy of, you know, the ways that you've framed trans studies in so many different places is to say, you know, anybody who thinks they're doing trans studies is doing trans studies. <laughs> and, and I, and I think that that's so, that opens up so much space for different kinds of thinking, different kinds of being and um, like in and outside of the academy. So yeah, it's, it's very exciting. Oh, well, I hope so. You know, like that's, that's the intention, <laughs> you know, so um... But yeah, I I really appreciated what you said there about like my own sense, even though like I, you know, admittedly played a role in like helping consolidate or open up a space where a field can happen. Uh, you know, I in no way feel like I know what trans studies is. You know, it's kind of like trans. It's this idea that's out there. People do it. It's like, what are you doing with it? It's like, it's, it's a very experimental, experimental notion of like, here is a concept. What can you do with it? It's like, oh, look, somebody's doing something new with it. What I'm always looking for, you know, when I'm in my role as an, as an editor is to, um, to find the new thing that people are doing with it. You know, it's like, you know, that one of my, um, one of my colleagues, Misha Cardenas, who teaches at UC Santa Cruz, it's like she works on, um, you know, what she calls like an algorithmic analysis of uh, of trans. It's like, and you know, she she and and um, um, Jian Chen um, edited the issue of TSQ that that you appeared in, so you I'm sure you're familiar with with her. Uh, but the thing that I like about Misha, who uses the asterisk in trans a lot of the time, she's saying like, well, the asterisk, that's a, 
that's like a, a command code that sort of means everything. It's like you could read trans asterisk, not as like trans whatever, but it's like as a command that's like trans everything, you know? And I like that. Like, mm -hmm. I like that sense that trans is just a, a heuristic or an analytical method or a conceptual tool that can, you know, be a standpoint on the world. Thank you so much again, Susan, for joining us for Ask a Feminist. Um, this was a really exciting conversation and one that I think um, science readers will be really excited to hear about from the sort of behind the scenes of TSQ to the, um, yeah, visioning and dreaming and hoping for a, a sort of more trans future, if we can more, say. <laughs> more trans future. Totally down for that. Well, it was great to, to chat with you. Thanks for inviting me. much again to V. Varun Chowdhury and Susan Stryker for sharing this conversation with us. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review. Ask a Feminist is part of a larger project we're doing at Signs called the Feminist Public Intellectuals Project, which is all available for free on our website at signsjournal.org. You can find tons of fabulous free feminist content there, including our short take series, where we offer commentaries on feminist books, most recently, Igioma Oluo's Mediocre. We also have a series called Feminist Frictions, which features essays on controversial topics like trigger warnings and identity politics. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Science Journal. I'm Susanna Walters, and thanks for listening.